Recently, I ran across a list of occupational hymns. Here's a list of songs of praise to God that might be sung by people in various lines of employment. For example, a baker might sing, I need thee every hour. You get that? Don't worry, I started with the weakest one first. The builder whistles, how firm a foundation. Baseball players like to sing, seek ye first. Dentists, dentists, you'll hear them hum. Crown him with many crowns. Electricians often sing, send the light. Fishermen love that hymn, shall we gather at the river? IRS agents sing, all to thee I owe. Politicians like to sing, standing on the promises. Optometrists play, open my eyes. Security guards like Silent Night. Stonemasons sing Rock of Ages. A clothing tailor likes to sing Holy, Holy, Holy. You get it? Clothing tailor. And meteorologists love the song. There shall be showers of blessing. My point is that no matter the type of work you do or job you hold, as a Christian, You've been called to take care of business in a way that glorifies God. For in God's sight, there is no difference between a hymn and hard work. I think one of the definite marks of spiritual maturity is the ability to turn work into worship. Earlier here in chapter 3, in verse 16, we read this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. In other words, the Christian life should be a continual concert of praise. But this involves verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And and I love this paraphrase of verse 17, Colossians 3. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master, Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. In other words, we need to let the joy in our hearts put a bounce in our step. Real praise quickly turns practical. Colossians 3 teaches us that one of the first areas of life that is impacted by a love for Jesus is a person's approach to their work. You love and praise Jesus, but this is reflected in how you take care of business, whether you're a veterinarian or a librarian, a mortician or an electrician, a drummer or a plumber, an engineer or a cashier, a truck driver or a deep-sea diver, a teacher or a preacher, a baker or a furniture maker. You need to realize an important truth. Whatever your line of work, your attitude toward your job is important to God. God created work. God created work. Work is not a temporal excursion from the eternal design, a necessary evil in a fallen world. No, Work is not a waste of time with no ultimate purpose. 
From the very beginning of human history, God directed work toward productive, directed mankind toward productive activity. Before Adam sinned, God gave him the task of tending and tilling the Garden of Eden. God created mankind with a disposition for meaningful labor. Even today, work is every Christian's God-sanctioned duty. In fact, the Bible teaches that if a person is unwilling to work, he or she shouldn't eat. Work is the will of God. Many Christians make the mistake of dividing life into secular and spiritual. We assume that spiritual matters like Bible study and church and prayer are what concerns God. Whereas secular concerns like our finances or our family or our vocation are the issues that God has left up to us. We figure God cares only about the spiritual side of life and not about these secular facets. Hey, nothing could be further from the truth. All of life is is important to God. He's sovereign over every area of our lives. God cares as much about how we do business as how we pray. As much about our work as about our worship. You see, to God, there is no such thing as secular and spiritual. Every issue in our lives is a spiritual concern. And tonight I want to ask you, what's your attitude toward your job? I heard an instructor at a company first aid course. He opened up the seminar with the question. He asked the employees, he said, what's the first thing you'd do if you found out you had rabies? One of the workers replied, bite my supervisor. (laughs) Well, that's not the attitude you need to have toward your boss. In 1977, Johnny Paycheck, he sang a song that became a popular anthem for many working class folks. Some of you might remember this song. Foreman, he's a regular dog. The line boss, he's a fool. Got a brand new flat top haircut. Man, he thinks he's cool. One of these days, I'm going to blow my top. That sucker, he's going to pay. Man, I can't wait to see their faces. When I get the nerve to say, take this job and shove it, I ain't working here no more. (laughs) A woman done left, took all the reasons I was working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking out the door. Take this job and shove it, I ain't working here no more. There you have it from Johnny Paycheck himself. Obviously, that's a rather crass and crude way of phrasing it. But if we were honest, that's how some of us, perhaps maybe most of us, really do feel about our jobs. Our attitude stinks. Our performance has become shoddy. We're guilty of a subtle insubordination. And quite frankly, God isn't pleased. Here's what our text teaches us. We can infuse meaning and value into what we do every day by turning our work into worship. In fact, God wants us to change our tune from take our job and shove it to take that job and love it. Tonight, we learn how to turn work into worship. In Colossians, Paul is writing to both slaves and masters. At the time, there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 
about half the total population was slaves. Many of the first believers came from the ranks of slaves. And some of the Christians thought that it was their Christian duty to rise up and rebel. Paul says not so. He says to Roman slaves that they should love and serve their masters. He challenges them to change their society through their godly witness. You know, today none of us are literal slaves, although some of you might feel like you get treated as one. Yet Paul's instructions apply equally well to employees. For we are servants of the company that employs us. And this evening, I want us to look at our jobs. I want us to focus on the who, the how, and the why of our work. Who do we work for? Boy, the answer might surprise you. How should we go about our work? And then third, beyond bringing home a paycheck, why should we care about our performance while we're there? Well, first and foremost, realize the who for whom you work. Paul tells us in verse 23, And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. I'll bet you thought you worked for Greasy Wrench Automotive or Bullwinkle and Associates. But as far as God is concerned, you work for Him. Perhaps you have difficulty attaching significance to what you do. Oh, my work carries no significance. It carries no weight. All I do is shuffle papers or drive nails or clean dishes. You figure, hey, if I don't show up tomorrow, what's it matter? It's no big deal. The world's going to go on without me. The American economy will somehow survive if I don't show up tomorrow. I understand how you feel. Every job has its moments of despair. But what makes your work important is not what you do. But it's who you serve. Verse 24 says emphatically, For you serve the Lord Christ. Your boss is not the foreman who thinks he's cool. Your real boss is none other than Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, you need to do it not as unto men, but as to the Lord. Paul is saying that when your supervisor gives you a task, you need to undertake it with the same enthusiasm and same energy as if it were the Lord's direct command. Of course, this doesn't mean that you should do anything that's immoral or unbiblical. When the boss's command conflicts with God's command, you need to be obedient to God. Nor does this mean that a worker has no rights in the workplace. There's nothing wrong with filing a legitimate grievance when you're treated unjustly. Nor does this mean that you're locked into some penny-paying, dead-end, frustration-filled job for the rest of your life just because your boss says he can't live without you. But what this does mean is that whatever job God has given you at the time, while you're there, you need to perform it as if you're doing it directly for Him. Will the Lord Jesus be pleased with the project I'm presenting in the morning? Does it truly represent my best effort? Would I take greater pains on the house that I'm building or that I'm remodeling? Or would I avoid the shortcuts that I've planned if I was constructing it for Jesus himself to live in? I'm sure we would be much more careful and conscientious and consistent and even more cheerful in our work if we saw our boss not as the guy who signs our paycheck, 
but as the Lord, the Lord who reigns in heaven. Three stonemasons were working on a cathedral, grand cathedral. Each man was asked, what was he doing? Well, the first worker responded, I'm laying bricks. The second fellow says, well, I'm toiling for a living. But the third worker, he looked up to heaven and he replied, I'm building a place where people can worship God. And guess which of the three laborers saw the bigger picture? Guess which of them got it right? The third one understood his job's real relevance. If all that matters, if all that motivates you is a paycheck, you've missed the point. Your job is a showcase where you can display your devotion to God in a practical way for all to see. In whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. As I said earlier, one of the marks of genuine spiritual maturity is the ability to turn a wearisome act into an act of worship. Can you transform the boring into adoring? The petty into praise? Can you transform hard work into Hosanna? We've been taught that by lifting our hands and by bowing our knees, these are acts of worship. But did you know that by adding the right attitude to the task, you can transform filling out a report or sweeping a warehouse or stocking shelves into worship to God? We get up on Sunday morning and we go to church to worship. But God wants us to get up on Monday morning Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning, and go to work to worship. The great reformer Martin Luther once stated, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. A 17th century monk, a humble, simple man, his name was Brother Lawrence. He wrote a famous book. I got it in my library. It's a really a good read. It's entitled, The Practice of the Presence of God. And in it he writes... Our sanctification does not depend upon changing our work, but doing that for God's sake, which we commonly do for our own. Time of business does not differ from the time of prayer. It's by recalling who it is we work for that we can cultivate a constant awareness of God's presence. Let me say it again. Adore the Lord as you do the chores. When you know who you work for, it affects how you work. For in verses 22 and 23, they tell us, Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Paul says we need to work heartily as to the Lord. Hey, if we're working to bring glory to Jesus, we'll do our job with integrity and with vigor and with loyalty. We'll seek to serve the interests of the company with no hidden agendas. If your job is to represent your company, it's wrong for you to go behind its back and funnel business into side jobs for yourself. You're stealing from your employer. If you see clients with the intention of later opening up your own business, that's being dishonest. Are you pilfering pads and pencils? Even furniture and computers? Do you take little perks that aren't really given? Are you padding your expense account with personal purchases? Are you being honest with your employer? God expects us to serve our company with sincerity of heart. 
Don't try to justify a lack of integrity with the attitude. Oh, well, they don't pay me enough around here. They owe me. As a Christian in the workplace, our concern needs to be our employer's concern. Our priority is his priority. Many an employer has discovered that after the fact that a man he hired or a woman he hired, a woman he trusted was stabbing him in the back. Employee sabotage is a real problem. Reminds me of the cook who was a Christian. This young man was a devout Christian. He worked on a U.S. Navy vessel. The sailors always were playing pranks on him, though. He got upset. One day, they snuck into his stateroom, into his cabin. They put Vaseline on the toilet seat. When he came out of the bathroom, they roared with laughter. He took it all in stride and simply praised the Lord. On another occasion, they rigged a kitchen door so that when he opened it, a bucket of water dumped over and soaked him completely. Again, he shrugged it off. Praise the Lord. Well, after several other stunts and the same response, this young boy caused the soldiers to get convicted. One day they came to him and they apologized. They said, oh, we're so sorry we've been doing this to you. We're going to stop. We'll never do it again. But we've just got to know, how did you maintain your composure through all of these terrible pranks that we did to you? Well, before the cook answered, he Wanted to make sure they were serious about their apology. He said, no more Vaseline on the toilet seat? Oh, no, no, no more. No more water on my head? No more water. That's when he said, okay, no more spitting in your soup. (laughs) The point of the story is that it's possible for a person to hustle and on the outside do a good job, yet in their heart of hearts be working with the wrong motivation. How many of us have harbored a grudge against the boss? We're working hard to show him up or to prove a point, but we're working with a sour attitude. Are we drawing a paycheck yet still spitting in the soup? Hey, if you were just working for the company, perhaps your attitude would be justified. But don't forget, never forget, you're working for the God in heaven. Paul tells us we're to serve the Lord with sincerity of heart, fearing God. And this is why we're told to serve not with eye service as men pleasers. Don't just work when the boss is around and then slack off when he leaves the area. We've all seen men pleasers in action, haven't we? They work furiously at their terminal when the supervisor's in the room. But the moment he walks away, they go right back to their coffee or their chit-chat or their conversation. There are some workers who specialize in eye service They work to be watched. They serve only to be seen. They need an audience to do their job. When I played football and we were being punished with a few push-ups, I have to admit, I'd do them one way when the coach was watching. You know, my back straight as a board, my arms moving with the count, nose touching the grass. But as soon as that coach turned his head, my stomach drooped. My arms barely bent. I was missing every other beat. I was a man pleaser, functioning with eye service. You know, some people go to work with one goal, and that's to see how little they can do and still impress the boss. For the Christian, there's only one problem with that kind of attitude. 
Your boss is always watching. It reminds me of the company that posted a memo on the office bulletin board. It read, to all employees, due to increased competition and a desire to stay in business, we find it necessary to institute a new policy. We're asking that somewhere between starting and quitting time and without infringing too much on the time usually devoted to lunch periods, coffee breaks, rest periods, storytelling, ticket selling, vacation planning, and the rehashing of yesterday's TV programs, that each employee endeavor to find some time that can be set aside and known as the work break. What a novel idea. A work break. I've read where the average American employee only works to 20 to 30% of their capacity and of their ability. 20 to 30%. That being true, what an opportunity for those of us who are Christians to stand out and to be a witness for our Lord Jesus. What if we put 100% of our effort into our work? If we did business tomorrow in such a way that God's light shined through our labor, what if we did our job heartily or literally from our heart? Did you hear of the college graduate? He was asked if he was looking for work. He answered, not necessarily, but I would like a job. And that's the problem, isn't it? When I first became a Christian, I immediately tried to witness to my coworkers. I was on fire for Jesus. A few of them nodded politely at my witness and just ignored what I had to say. Because I had not been a very good worker. But one fellow, a guy named Dave, I'll never forget him. Dave was not so polite. When I told him I'd become a Christian, he literally doubled over in laughter. You, a Christian? He pointed out how I was always late getting to work. And how I took 30 minutes for my supposed 15-minute coffee breaks. And how I didn't do my share of the job. Dave called me a hypocrite, snickered at me, shook his head, and walked off. Needless to say, the Holy Spirit used Dave to get my attention. His words woke me up to the poor employee that I'd been. And from that day onward, I went to work to straighten out those work habits and to develop the right attitude. My goal was to change Dave's opinion of me, to earn his respect so that I could share with him the gospel. If your co-worker's only exposure to the power and joy of Jesus is how it motivates you in your work, What impression have you left upon him or her? Will they see Christianity as an impotent, hollow, Sunday-only religion? Or will they see it as a vital dynamic that reaches into every facet of human life, including our work? Here's another announcement found on a company's bulletin board. We regret that it has come to our attention that workers dying on the job are failing to fall down. This practice must stop as it's impossible to distinguish between death and the natural movement of the staff. Any employee found dead in an upright position will be dropped from the payroll. (laughs) Hey, we work to the Lord. We work as to the Lord when we perform our tasks heartily. That means with zeal, with zest, with enthusiasm. I once knew a guy who did a great job, but he had such a sorry attitude. 
I mean, you'd think he hated every second of his job. He was such a grouch. You were tempted to want to pull him aside and ask him if you could help get the rock out of his shoe, you know. If you want to be a witness for Jesus, if you want to be a witness at work, put a friendly smile on your face. Make some cordial comments. It's refreshing to find genuine kindness in the dog-eat-dog world of business. I've heard it said, God puts work into our lives. Let's put God's life into our work. Be kind and gracious on the job. And you'll stand out, trust me. Folks will definitely notice. You know, in World War II, American Marines in the South Pacific, they developed the expression, gung-ho. We use it today to describe a person with zeal, with some real get-up-and-go. The word gung-ho is the Chinese word for work. Actually, gung is the Chinese word for work. Ho means harmony. Put them together. It's to work in harmony. We Christians should bring a little gung-ho to our jobs. Let's do our job happily and harmoniously. Well, we need to know for whom we work. We need to know how to work. And then thirdly, we need to know why we work. For Paul tells us in verse 24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance For you serve the Lord Christ. Always remember, your earthly boss might sign your paycheck, but your ultimate reward is from the Lord. You know, my heart breaks when I hear someone make the statement, you know, that salesman, he's supposed to be a Christian, but. You know, that mechanic, he calls himself a Christian mechanic, but. Oh, They say they run a Christian company, but when we've done business with them, you know, a lot of people flaunt the fact they're Christian in order to draw in business, but they don't realize that that designation holds them to a higher standard. Say you're a Christian company, and we should expect more from you, not less. In the second century, one of the early church fathers, Justin Martyr, he penned a description of his fellow Christians. He said, Many who have come in contact with us were changed from violent characters, either from having watched the constancy of their Christian neighbors or from doing business with Christians. What a testimony. Sinners converted and drawn to Jesus, not by preaching, but by how we take care of business. Imagine customers and vendors and managers coming to Jesus by the conduct of Christians in the marketplace. I've talked to a lot of Christian businessmen over the years, and some have been quick to remind me, Pastor Sandy, yes, we attempt to run business, our business according to biblical principles, but you got to know, you got to remember, don't forget, the main point of business is to make money. And what I'm trying to say to you tonight is that that is a wrong assumption. That is not true. 10,000 years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to realize that the real reason for your business was not to make money. The reason you went to work every day and your company existed, in fact, had nothing to do with money. The point of your business 
was to be an influence for Jesus. God wanted you to be a workplace witness. In the process, you may have made some money. It was a blessing to you and it was a blessing to others. But making money was not the point at all. The real reward for your labor was the Lord's eternal approval of your faithful witness. Now up until now, I've been speaking to employees. But let's not forget what's said to employees is also applicable to employers. For if you run a business, if you supervise workers, you also need to remember the who and the how and the why. For whom do you work? How do you carry out your business? And ultimately, why do you do what you do? For Colossians chapter 4 verse 1 speaks to the bosses. Masters, give your servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you're a boss, remember you've got a boss. Every boss on earth has a boss in heaven. Nobody truly works for themselves. Even the CEO, even the owner of the thing has God as their boss. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 9, a similar passage dealing with work and instructs employers to give up threatening. In other words, the boss shouldn't be bossy. Don't intimidate or manipulate your employees. Motivate them with love and appreciation. Be a servant to the servants. Recall, you have a boss. And while he was on earth, he became a servant. Don't expect your employees to to do more than you would be willing to do yourself. Serve your employees with sincerity. Treat them with integrity. Care for them heartily. Instill in them the belief that they're not just working for you, they're working with you. You know, it's been said... Better to have three men working with you than a dozen men working for you. A boss can create that kind of atmosphere if he honestly serves his servants. Paul says in chapter 4 verse 1, Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair. You know, today experts in the corporate world are recognizing that what the Bible has taught us all along is actually true in today's marketplace. What has always been biblical, is also successful. Biblical principles make for good business practices. Companies that are people-oriented, that share profits with employees, that genuinely care for their workers' welfare, are the most successful companies. The story is told of an 11th century king who ruled over Germany. His name was Henry III. King Henry was a devout Christian who had grown tired of life in the palace. In fact, he wanted to enroll in a local monastery and serve God for the rest of his life in prayer and quiet meditation. Well, when King Henry met with the superior of the monastery, the priest asked him, he said, Your Majesty, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? And that will be hard for you since you've always been a king. But King Henry replied, he said, I understand. And for the rest of my days, I will be obedient to you as Christ leads you. The wise old priest responded to him and said, Then I will tell you what to do. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has placed you. You see, 
Often when a young man gets fired up for Jesus, he thinks he needs to turn his back on his former pursuits and become a pastor. Happens all the time. But I'm not so sure. When God called me to be a pastor, I fought it. Not because I wasn't willing to follow the Lord. I just figured the last thing the world needed was another pastor. We got plenty of those guys. The great need today is for Christian nurses, and Christian businessmen, and Christian accountants, and Christian carpenters, and Christian programmers, and Christian policemen, etc., etc., etc. People who will take the gospel into the workplace. Since becoming a pastor, I now realize how limited pastors are in reaching folks on a personal level. When someone finds out I'm a pastor, they tend to clam up. They stop talking honestly. They don't relate to a pastor. This is why the people who win the mechanics to Christ are the Christian mechanics who let their light shine. The people winning the architects to Christ are the Christian architects who are living out their faith. Without a doubt, the most pressing need today is for Christians to do their work as to the Lord. We attract attention through the excellence of our work and then we use that platform to lead thirsty hearts to the living water. God's plan is to use everyday work to introduce folks to the eternal life that's in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Old Johnny Paycheck, he's no longer with us. But what if someone came out with a new song? Take this job and love it. I'm now working for the Lord. I hope it'd be a hit. Let me challenge us all tonight. You can love your job if you learn to turn your work into worship.